0: Robert, are there any stories about Breyer that you that come to mind? Of?
1: Well, you know, the thing that he's famous for is asking extremely long questions that sometimes befuddle the lawyer who's trying to answer them.
0: That's Robert Barnes. He covers the Supreme Court for the Post.
2: Okay, but I, I want to ask a provisional question: Are are you still really asking this court now today? I mean, I assume your arguments are... You have good arguments in your brief.
1: Sometimes they're measured in how many pages of the transcript uh, they cover. They can be quite rambling. You know, he was a law professor, and sometimes when you listen to him, you you sort of hear the law professor go back. And I do remember one time he asked a very long and very detailed question.
2: Like issue a state today or tomorrow... Sunday or Monday or Tuesday. I mean, the reason I asked that is...
1: And at the end, the lawyer just sort of looked at him and said, I'm sorry, Justice, I I don't know what you're asking. And Justice Breyer looked at him and smiled and said, I was afraid of that.
0: (laughs) As someone who asks long questions, sometimes I can really relate to that. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Wednesday, January 26. Today, the big news is that Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer is retiring at the end of the current term, clearing the way for President Biden to make his mark on the court before the midterm elections in November.
1: Well, we got news today that uh, Justice Stephen Breyer is going to retire from the Supreme Court probably at the end of the term, probably upon the confirmation of his successor. And all of this is uh, probably because he hasn't made an official announcement. Sources say that that is his plan. The White House has begun notifying senators of that. And so the ball seems to be rolling on his retirement and the apparatus that needs to be in place to name his successor.
0: Robert, how big of a deal is this? Well, it's not a
1: big deal as far as the direction of the Supreme Court. Breyer is one of the court's three liberals. Naturally, Biden would try to replace him with someone that would vote similarly, and so it's not going to make a whole lot of difference in the way Supreme Court decisions come out right now, but it is a big deal in that he is 83, that the Democrats have a very precarious hold on the Senate, which has to confirm his replacement, and that this gives the president a chance to make his own mark on the Supreme Court.
0: So, is there any other way to read this than that Breyer basically wanted to ensure that President Biden and a Democrat controlled Senate would be able to choose and confirm his replacement?
1: Well, I think that's right. I mean, he's also 83 years old, and that's old even for a Supreme Court justice. He has also faced really an unprecedented pressure campaign to get him to retire while Democrats control the Senate, something the likes of which I don't think we've ever seen Hmm. before. He resisted that last term and didn't retire. But I think that the calls have only gotten stronger and the Democratic hold on the Senate has only looked more shaky. And so I think when we talk about Justice Breyer, we always talk about him as a pragmatist on the court. I think he's a pragmatist about politics as well.
0: So then what does this mean for President Biden and his process that he is beginning now to nominate a new justice?
1: Well, President Biden, then candidate Biden, made a really unprecedented campaign promise, which is that he said he would nominate the court's first African-American female justice. There have only been two African-American justices on the Supreme Court. There has never been a woman of color other than Justice Sotomayor, who was the first Latina on the court, and so it was a campaign pledge that he made, and uh, it would be a very historic change for the court.
0: Do we have any ideas of who that person might be? Which names are on the list of black women that Biden could nominate?
1: Well, there are two names that you hear most often. One is a former Breyer clerk named Ketanji Brown Jackson. She. Was nominated and confirmed to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit under Biden, and many think that she might be the front runner for this position. Uh, the other that name that you hear a lot is Supreme Court Justice of California, Leandra Kruger. She's a former Department of Justice official. She's argued before the Supreme Court. She's a former Supreme Court clerk also. And her name is often mentioned in these circles.
0: And what are the hopes from Biden and from Senate Democrats about where this new justice would be ideologically?
1: Well, as I say, Justice Breyer has always been known as a bit of a pragmatist on the court. He's been a fairly reliable liberal vote in almost all of the big important decisions. He's never been seen as uh, as liberal as the justice he served with, who sort of overshadowed his time on the court, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, he's been one of those more inclined to compromise. Chief Justice John Roberts last term gave Breyer a lot of the court's big decisions to write because of his capacity for compromise. And so I think that uh, Democrats would certainly want to see you know, a new liberal voice on the court and maybe even one that has been more liberal than Justice Breyer has been.
0: Have we heard President Biden say anything yet about what he's thinking about replacing Breyer?
1: He refused uh, today to talk about it.
2: There has been no announcement from Justice Breyer. Let him make whatever statement he's going to make, and I'll be happy to talk about it later. Thank you so much.
1: But as I say, the The campaign pledge that he made to name an African-American woman is something that has been well reported and documented and he has reinforced. And there doesn't seem to be a reason to think that he's going back on that.
0: So talk to me about the timing of all of this. How soon do you think Senate Democrats are going to try to conclude this confirmation process? And what is the kind of time crunch here?
1: Well, it's interesting. We're in we're in sort of uncharted territory here. It's uh, very rare for a justice to announce a retirement uh, at this point of the year, at this point of the Supreme Court term. Usually, these announcements come at the uh, end of the term, or at least after oral arguments uh, have concluded. That wouldn't be until April, and so it's an unusual timing thing for. Justice Breyer. There are some questions about can you confirm someone to a position that's not technically open yet. Apparently, Senate aides say that you can, that it has been done with other judges in the past. But a lot of this, we just don't know. We do know that the Republicans moved very quickly to confirm Amy Coney Barrett when she was nominated in 2020. And so the sort of old ideas of it takes six months or, you know, here's what the sort of timeline in, those have sort of gone out the door. Mm -hmm. And so we don't really know how quickly this could happen.
0: And do Republicans have any options here to either slow this process down or to get some kind of say in who President Biden eventually nominates? Well,
1: I'm sure they would try to slow it down. As I say, they've sort of changed the rules for Supreme Court nominees when President Trump was in office and when Republicans control the Senate, they took away the filibuster on Supreme Court nominees. And so that removes a big piece of leverage that uh, the minority party has had in the past. The party that's not in power always makes an appeal for a more moderate candidate that all can agree on, But that didn't really happen during the Trump years. Those were pretty conservative justices that made their way through on very narrow votes. In a way, that seems uh, the norm for Supreme Court nominations now. What Democrats can't do is afford to lose any Democratic senators because of the essentially tied Senate and that Vice President uh, Harris would be the one to break a tie.
0: After the break, we'll talk more about Justice Breyer's legacy. We'll be right back. In-laws. Love them or hate them, you're pretty much stuck with them. And when you're a ruler in the Middle Ages, that can be a serious problem. It might even land you dead. I'm Dan Jones, and on Season 4 of This Is History, I'm telling the story of England's weirdest king, Henry III. He's in way over his head, and he's surrounded by bloodthirsty relatives with their eyes on his throne. To listen, search This Is History, and follow wherever you get your podcasts. I want to talk a little bit more about Breyer and his legacy. You brought up the fact that he has been known for a while as somewhat of a moderate. Um, And, you know, he he was, Breyer was actually interviewed by our colleague, David Ignatius, back in September of last year. Um, And he talked about this idea of, like, you have to be a justice for Democrats and Republicans. You have to be there for everyone.
2: Even if a Democrat or Republican appointed you? You're there as a judge, and that means you better be there for everybody. They won't see it. A lot of people will strongly disagree with many of the opinions or dissents that you write. But still, internally, you must feel that this is not a political institution, that this is an institution that's there for every American.
0: I wonder how you see his role as a moderate playing out on the court and among his fellow justices.
1: Well, I think that that's what you say is absolutely true and the way he sees himself. On the other hand, he was still a pretty reliable liberal vote. He did make up part of the court that was, you know, sort of in the middle, sort of you could get a conservative justice and you could get Breyer and you could put together different coalitions within that to to reach more narrow or moderate outcomes in Supreme Court decisions. But you know, he was a strong supporter of abortion rights. He wrote many of the court's decisions affirming a woman's right to have an abortion. He was a proponent of affirmative action, and so he was a key vote there. He was one of those who tried to keep the gun rights as something narrow. He didn't believe that the court made the right decision in the landmark case that said that there was a constitutional right for gun ownership, for self-protection. And so while he often tried to get come up with a more narrow uh, ruling. He was a fairly consistent vote for liberals.
0: I also, I've heard Breyer talk about how he has of late been somewhat worried that the Supreme Court might be losing the faith and trust of the American public. Is that a sense that you've had of him, of, of where he sees the court now and, and, and his concerns about its future?
1: yes i mean he wrote a book about it that came out in the fall his you know the line he often uses is that the court is in trouble if the public starts to see them as what he calls junior varsity politicians and that that's not what uh, justices are very good at doing anyway
2: i've seen how long it's taken to earn enough trust of the american people so that they will and almost automatically to follow what the court said. Now, that's a tremendous asset for the United States of America for the reason that that, in essence, is the rule of law.
1: And so he is very worried about the court's reputation. And, you know, there was some concern, I think, on his part about how it would be seen if he aimed his retirement so that he was replaced by someone chosen by a Democratic president. But he also said that that's something that most justices seem to think is okay to do. He was very reluctant to talk about it in the fall, and you could see that he was worried that a retirement might fit into the pattern that he tried to keep the court from falling into, from being seen as political.
0: So, Robert, as you said, Breyer is 83 years old. He is the oldest justice on the Supreme Court. After him, you have Justices Thomas and Alito, who are both in their early 70s. Everyone else is younger than that. Um, I looked it up. I think Amy Coney Barrett is still in her 40s for at least a couple more days. I I wonder if this is a moment where we're reaching the end of a period of, like, flux or transition on the court, that as we have so many younger justices and fewer justices who look like they could be retiring anytime soon, that this is kind of the court that we have going forward for quite some time?
1: Well, you know, it could be. Justice Thomas is still actually longer serving than uh, Justice Breyer. He's been on the court longer, but he shows no signs of being tired of the job, But, you know, clearly there has been a change and there is, you know, a well-worn saying about the court that each justice creates a new Supreme Court. And I think that that's what we will be in for with whoever replaces Justice Breyer. Certainly won't change the conservative supermajority that's on the court now, but it will create new working relationships. It creates new uh, viewpoints of justices. And, you know, Justice Breyer for a long time, I think 11 years, was the junior justice on the Supreme Court, meaning that there was no one added after him for a very long time. And that court really worked together for a long time. This court has been constantly in transition, the Roberts Court, with all sorts of new members coming on. And so, in a way, the Supreme Court is always in a moment of constant change.
0: Robert Barnes covers the Supreme Court for The Post. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Emma Telkov and mixed by Renny Spernovsky. It was edited by Maggie Penman.